the mass exodus of children. You guys see that? I love that, which is also, yeah. Those of you that clapped, you can sign up for serving in kids' ministry right now. Um, <laughs> kidding, not kidding. Okay, so yeah, that's, this is why um, we love kids. We love youth. They, they are the future. And that's why uh, we, we love to have you sign up and serve and get involved. Um, not just teachers we need, it's helpers, just people to show up and help and uh, be there. And we need some men, too, because a lot of times you're like, ah, I don't think so. Yeah, we need some men. Just your presence does like has a great calming effect in some of these classrooms. So, All right. Hey, if you are new here, welcome. And if you are new around here, just joining us for the first time in a while, we are in week two of five weeks in the book of 2 Timothy. Now, we'll be getting back to our deep dive in John a little later uh, this fall, but as I was praying about sort of a little uh, break here, I kept being drawn to 2 Timothy, and this, this little book addresses a few topics that I think are really important for us to talk about as a church family in this season. Now, to get us where we're going here today, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was college age, I had a workout buddy. Anybody have a workout buddy currently? A few of you? And uh, I'm not a morning person, but man, there was something about like, you know, we'd, we'd make plans, we'd get up, we'd go down to the gym, we'd work out and, you know, we'd do bench pressing and he'd throw a bunch of plates on and, and bench press and I'd pull a bunch of plates off and bench press. He was quite a bit bigger, stronger than me. <laughs> And he'd make sure we didn't wuss out on, uh, on leg day, you know, because you got to do leg day. And you know what was amazing is for this period of time, for this season, I, I made some great progress. I made some great progress. Now, flash forward a little bit. It, it was like a 15-minute drive down to the gym, right? Crack of dawn. I'm not a morning person. Now, I have this wonderful home gym in my basement, it is literally a 15-second walk away from my bed. And here's the interesting thing. It is harder for me to get down to that gym 15 seconds away from my bed than it was to get up at the crack of dawn and go down to that gym 15-minute drive away. And coincidentally, I'm not making the same progress as I was when I was working out with Cody. Now, here's... Uh, Here's a statement I want to put up here. This isn't rocket science. I think you all will agree with this. That's this. Most things worth doing in life don't happen by accident. Anybody say, yep, I've seen that in my life. Most things worth doing in life don't happen by accident. This is true. Uh, like we talked about health, you know, like working out, getting in shape. It's true, right? Um, this is true with getting out of debt. Doesn't happen by accident or... Um, maybe saving for retirement, right, or starting a business, or strong family relationships, the place you want to get with your family, or achieving a, a goal in, in a career or education, a degree. And the same thing is true when it comes to a growing relationship with God. In fact, many people never get around to many of the things they say are most important in life. Why is that? Well, I think there's a couple things. One of the things is drift. Have you noticed that you start a lot of things with enthusiasm and then they tend to drift towards apathy or discouragement or you just run out of steam? Uh, you know this. Uh, if you have kids 
uh, you know, the chaos that like, you're like, I left the room for 15 minutes and my, I just cleaned. If you have kids, you know that. It's the second law of thermodynamics, right? Like things go from a st state of order to chaos, especially if you have kids in the house. We, uh, we farmed our kids out for a few days uh, to grandma and grandpa uh, last week. And it was like, wow, everything is so clean. It just stayed that way <laughs> for a while. So sometimes it's just like we just drift in life, don't we? It's just the, the natural state. Um, sometimes it's just a lack of priority. That many things in life we say are very important, but we actually never build into our lives the necessary boundaries or structures or key relationships that allow us to get to them. We just, we say they're important, but we never put anything into place that would help us get to them. One of those top things that we put into place or need to have in place are accountable relationships. And I think this is one of the reasons why people never get to some of the things they say are most important in life is the lack of accountable relationships. You know, most people who accomplish remarkable things in life don't do it alone. I think we have this, this sort of myth of, and, uh, you know, we, we put the self-made man up on a pedestal. But what you realize when you watch people's stories is even though they had a great, usually a great deal of determination, there were a lot of people and there were a lot of structures and relationships they put in place that helped them get where they were. Like me and my buddy Cody <laughs> that would come drag me out of bed, right? It's much more comfortable to stay in bed rather than walk 15 seconds. But there was a relationship there, and it made a positive impact on my life. And I think many people just don't get to the things that they want to get to because of the lack of these relationships in their lives. Now, in just a second, we're going to be in 2 Timothy, picking up in chapter 1 where we left off. And 2 Timothy is the second epistle or letter that the Apostle Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, his disciple Timothy. And before I get to 2 Timothy, I want to read you one verse from 1 Timothy that really ties into this, the first letter that, that Paul writes to Timothy as he has um, kind of put him in a place of leadership. Timothy's very young. Um, when he's put into a place of leadership, he's got some real insecurities. Um, and Paul puts him into this place of leadership and gives him some incredible instruction. You can read that in 1 Timothy. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says this, train yourself to be godly. He brings up this like training, like almost the language of physical training, right? Train yourself to be godly. Work hard at it. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So he says physical training, yeah, that's good. That has some value. I mean, it's great to, to be healthy. It's great to, to, to have your physical body help get you to the things you want to accomplish in life. It has some value, but there's something that has infinitely more value and eternally more value, and that's godliness. Godliness. Now, um, as I looked up the Greek word for this, to, to help you understand this idea of what, what does this word godliness means, um, I, I think this is my definition. It's someone's inner response to the things of God, which then shows itself in, in godly reverence for who God is and in me living my life out of that reverence for him and living my life the way that he says is true and right and most important. 
That's kind of a big idea, but that's what I think godliness really ties itself in. It's, it's the, the uh, process of trying to align your life with the way God says life is to be lived. And there's a lot of things um, in life that I prioritize that are of some value, some really good things, right? I mean, we have, you know, sometimes achievements and career and all these things, really good things. And there are some value, some of them have a lot of value. And yet there's something that has infinite value. There's something that has eternal value. There's one thing, and that's my relationship with God and who I am influencing toward relationship with God. Now, if we took a survey around the room, most of you are Jesus followers, I know. Uh, if you're not, if you're just joining us for the first time or checking out God, Church, and the Bible, we're so glad you're here. But if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus. If we took a survey, um, you would say the most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. Like, we, can you just nod? Yeah, that's like basics, right? You go, yes. Um, it's the easy answer. You know, what's it all about? Jesus. Uh, we're in church. You would say that. We, we believe that. Do, do you believe that? Sure, you do. But the question is, the question is, do you believe it strongly enough to build into yourself, build into your life the necessary structures and habits and relationships that lead towards a growing relationship with Jesus? Now, last week we focused in 2 Timothy on uh, uh, chapter 1, on verse 5 which is this amazing little passage where Paul recognizes just the sincere, real, genuine faith that lives in Timothy. And he says, first it lived in your grandmother and in your mother. So we get this picture of generationally, you see faith passing on. And let me just say, if you're a parent in the room or joining us online and you missed last week, I highly encourage you, I would love it. Please go back. Catch up on that talk, either on our podcast or on our YouTube channel. And we have a great resource at the end there where you can kind of uh, look at your life and, and your, your discipleship of your kids based on age and stage and some key growth things. I would love to have you go back and do that if you missed it. But today, we're going to pick up there where we left off. And, and because of this sincere faith that Timothy has in his life that we see um, first lived in his mother and his grandmother, and they built, like, put kindling around his life, um, like when you're starting a fire so that when God sparked that faith, it would fan into a flame. It was real. It was genuine. And because of this, Paul writes this. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, or literally God does not give us a spirit of fear, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, let me just start out by saying, like, everybody needs a Paul in their life. Everybody needs someone who, like Paul did, saw this young man, Timothy, who like had some insecurities, had some fears, and yet Paul saw something in him. Paul saw there's leadership there. Paul saw potential there. Paul saw what he could be. And so he brings them on missionary journeys and he includes them in ministry. And then even like he pushes them out of his comfort zone and puts them in this place of leadership where with all these like older guys and women around him. And he's like called to lead. 
In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul is going to tell, and one of the things he tells him right around that other scripture that I started with is, hey, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Like, I know you're around a bunch of old guys, and they've got a lot more experience, but there's something in you. Don't let others look down. Rather, you're going to set an example for the believers in the way you speak and in your conduct and your life and your, and your godliness. These are, the, these are the things that you're going to set an example in. And he says, I want you to devote yourself to reading Scripture publicly, and, uh, which is kind of preaching to, and teaching. He says, I want you to devote yourselves to preaching and teaching, and don't neglect your gift. There was this special moment when they, when the elders and Paul gathered around him and, and they actually like placed their hands on him and there's this spiritual impartation um, during this time and Paul says, don't neglect that thing in you, the, the gift that God has placed in you. He says, be diligent in these things. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. In other words, you're not all there yet. Keep working on it. Keep doing it. He tells him to watch his life and his doctrine closely and to persevere in them. And, and he says, here's why you're going to do that. Because if you do, there's eternal consequences. Like people's salvation is at stake. It's this powerful scripture. And so he's really encouraging him. And somewhere along the way, um, he, Timothy's now been in leadership for a while. And leadership's hard. In leadership, you've got to deal with lots of drama I always tell my wife, she makes me watch chick flicks sometimes. I'm like, drama, 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 drama. And there's plenty of drama in leadership that you got to deal with. And sometimes it just, it just pulls you down. And Paul says, I know, as, as these years have passed since he wrote the first letter of Timothy, and now um, he, he's writing the second letter, he goes, I know, it's been hard. And now we're facing like the Rome, the climate and Rome changes. And all of a sudden now they're facing real persecution. It's hard to be a follower of Jesus. It's not like culturally acceptable. And, and Timothy's natural tendency is like to be timid, to have fear and lack confidence. And, and Paul says, no, no, no. Fan into flame the gift that God's put into you. Fan into flame. The, what I saw in you wasn't just like you, were, you had charisma, but there was a giftedness that God placed in you. It wasn't just you were some, you know, big, tall, charismatic leader that talked well. No, God gifted you. Remember David and Saul? And, and Saul, um, King David and King Saul in the, in the Bible, and Saul, um, you know, he had everything. He looked like a king and... and and then as David lined up and he had his older brothers, Saul's heart wasn't with God, right? And then David's older brothers, when, when David was anointed king, uh, Samuel the prophet's looking at his older brothers going, surely this guy's the one. Look at him. He's, got, he's king material. And, and, and God says, I, I look at the heart that I see something in him. And Paul is saying, hey, there's something in you. It's real. It's genuine. God has gifted you. Now fan it into flame. You have a responsibility here. In fact, he reminds him that, that the spirit that God placed in you is not one that leads you to shrink back in fear and be timid. It, it leads you to be bold. It, it leads you, the spirit, he leads you um, towards love. Power, love, agape, love, that 
that self-sacrificing love that gives freely of itself. And, and it's a self-discipline. But literally, this is the idea. Um, when, you, when you look at the Greek of a sound mind, here's how I define this term. It's this wise judgment that results in disciplined action. This isn't just like, I'm going to grit my teeth and do it. No, it's actually um, a wisdom that God gives that then results in disciplined action. Power, love, sound mind. I memorized this verse as a kid, and there was a song we always used to sing. I threatened to make Winston try to sing it, but he, he turned me down. So, God has not given us a spirit of fear. It was a good song. <laughs> Giving us a spirit. Anyway, um, <laughs> I lo- that's why, you know, when your kids are young, there's like scripture songs. Great, because they'll remember them for the rest of their life. It's such an easy way to get scripture into your heart. So Paul reminds them, just fan it into flame. Come on, Timothy. Um, You have a job to do here. You need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You got to be, you got to lean in. You got to be filled. And you know what? Let me just speak to, to, to older guys in the room for a second. Man, the younger guys around you need a Paul. They need somebody who sees something in them they don't see in themselves. They need someone who calls them to do great things. That says, dream big dreams. If you're here and you're a young person in the room, we need you to dream big dreams for God. Not just for yourself. Big dreams about what God might want to use your life to accomplish for his kingdom. If you're an older guy in the room... We have a value around here. Who's next? And it's all about that idea of who are you bringing along? Who are you empowering? Who are you encouraging? Who are you speaking life into? Who who are you saying like, yeah, you got some rough edges. We'll work on those. But I see something in you. Go for it. God can do great things through your life. Such a powerful thing to speak encouragement. To speak like young guys, like, hey, take on responsibility. Do something hard. It's okay to sweat a little bit. Carry heavy things, heavy loads. Like that's what God made you to do, young men. If you're older, man, man, there's guys around you that need that from you. So Paul goes on, verse 9, he says, He, God, has saved us, and he's called us to a holy life, a life that's set apart, a life that's for something other than just ourselves. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. He has this like big cosmic view of like before even this all existed, God saw you and his heart was grace towards you. Grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Man, we can do a whole series just on that, those couple of verses, right? That's deep. Paul's writings, he's so deep. There's packed so much in. But he wants to remind you, so, okay, I just told you, fan the flame. Like, you have responsibility in this. Don't wuss out. God's given you a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. But, but don't think it's all up to you. See, it's, it's, it's the grace of God. You've been saved. Don't think somehow you're going to work hard enough and skip the, or uh, tip the scales in your favor and God will be pleased with you. No, that's a free gift. Grace is the free gift. And the way you're going to live your life this way with this calling is 
in gratitude for the salvation, for the free gift that he's given you, for the love that he showed you first. And you didn't do anything to earn it. You just received it because his heart towards you is grace. You work, the work you do, the effort you put in is in cooperation with him. And it's a, it's a grateful response to what he's done for you. Verse 11, and this gospel, this good news, I was, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Now, now wrap your mind around that. God gave him a task. Literally, God knocked him off a donkey, knocked him off a horse, and, and, and called him to this ministry. And Paul gave his life to it. He did the most important thing he could do. He was faithful to the thing God called him to do. And the irony is he, he understands the very fact that I was faithful to the thing God called me to do is why I'm suffering. It's so counterintuitive to the way we so often think. If I'm faithful, I will be blessed, which means in our head, everything will be easy. Life will go the way I wanted it to. The picture I had, you know, as a, as a 16-year-old, that's the way it'll all go. Not always the way it works. In fact, faithfulness sometimes leads you to places where you end up suffering for Jesus. He goes on, yet this is no cause for shame. Middle East culture, it's a shame-based culture. Um, and, and being thrown in jail... Very difficult. Could easily be ashamed. He says, no, this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul says, it's not a what I believed. I have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with Jesus, and that's what gets me through. That's what helps me sit here in this damp, dark dungeon and still have hope in my heart. And, it's, and, and what gives me hope is not just this life, but it's that day. See, Paul is keenly aware of that day. You're going to see this as we go throughout this little uh, book. That day, speaking of the return of Jesus. And, and Paul knows his earthly journey is coming to a close. This is the second time he's been imprisoned in Rome. Scholars believe uh, the first time we see Acts leaves Paul in house arrest, um, he, he goes to Rome the first time, he appeals to Caesar, and he's in house arrest, and he's there for quite a while um, with a guard, but people come freely and go, and he's, having, he's preaching the gospel, and it's, uh, and it's you know, a decent situation. Well, this is the second imprisonment, and we get the impression that he's in chains, that this is like a, a damp, dark prison. And between the first imprisonment in Rome and the second one, what, what happens to Paul is uh, we, we believe church history teaches us he's released. And, and many scholars think he went to Spain, which was his goal, uh, the very edges of the Roman Empire, to preach the gospel there. And then he comes back to Rome. And during this time, Nero has come into power, Nero Caesar. And Nero was a crazy guy. Uh, Nero had these, like, he wanted to be known as the great builder of Rome. And uh, Roman, uh, the, the room, rumor in Rome, there's a huge fire that breaks out. And, you know, you've heard the great rumor that uh, the, the flames of Rome and what is Nero doing is fiddling, right? Well, Rome burns. 
And whether he started it himself as an arsonist or whether um, he's just like, you know, not too sad it's burning because now he's going to get to rebuild it and be known as the great builder. He needs a scapegoat for this fire. And he ends up blaming it on the Christians. In fact, Tacitus, the historian who hates Christians, tells us that Nero blames the great fire of Rome on the Christians and used that as an excuse to launch this huge persecution of them. He called them actually arsonists and cannibals. That was how Christians were known. Arsonists, because he blames the fire, and cannibals. Why? Because Christians would gather every week and they would celebrate communion together, which was referred to in a Roman culture. This would have sounded really weird as, you know, the body and blood of Jesus. As he, as he gives us this example at the Lord's Supper, at the, you know, at the Last Supper, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And so there was this crazy rumor that Christians were cannibals. It was the uh, original official regime disinformation. But one scholar writes this, he says, eventually Caesar Nero would ride through his palace grounds, shrieking with glee as he watched Christians lit as human torches. This is the place in history where Paul's living as he's in this dungeon for the second time. And because of this, man, Paul is laser focused on eternity. Suffering has a way of drawing our attention to eternity beyond this life. The, the, the realization that one's life is drawing to a close has the tendency to draw our minds and our hearts to something beyond this life, doesn't it? And he's laser focused on it. Verse 13, he goes on, he says, what you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You got to guard this thing. Staying faithful takes diligence because the gravitational drift, the gravitational pull is away from truth. It's away from sound teaching. I was uh, with our youth uh, a couple weeks ago on this uh, adventure trip and we went rafting and it was fun. There was a section where, uh, very safe little section where they let the kids um, experience swimming in a current. And so, you know, they all have their life jackets on, they go up the river, and they jump in and float down, and there's this rock out in the middle. And, and it was so crazy watching these kids just swim, and it took everything they had to try to catch that rock, right? And then when they came across, they had to swim across that current and get back to shore, because what did it want to do? It wanted to pull them away. And it was this great picture of really what happens in culture today, the gravitational pull, the, the way that we just drift if we go with the flow is away from truth. It's away from Jesus' claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Culture today is like, whatever you want to believe, any, whatever religion. Jesus actually doesn't give you that option when you read his words. But that's where culture wants to go. Culture is in a place where it's like, your truth, my truth, it's all fine as long as you don't claim there's an absolute truth. Paul says you have to be diligent. You have to guard 
because there is truth. Hold to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me. Don't let go of the gospel, the clarity of the gospel message. Don't let it be watered down. Verse 15, you know, this is the other thing. Paul is in this situation um, where he feels alone. You know that everyone in the province of Asia, modern-day Turkey, has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, with names like that, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Ah, just kidding. See, there's a shame associated with, in this shame-based culture, Paul's in prison. Like, he is, he's on the wrong side. He's on the outs with the fuzz, you know? Like the Imperial Guard, he's not, he, he's not a popular person all of a sudden. And because of that, it's hard to be Paul's friend. It's hard to associate with Paul. And so he looks around and he's like, man, so many of these people that were so close to me, it's just, they've deserted me. In fact, in prison, in this time in history, um, if somebody that loved you didn't bring you food, you died. Because they didn't feed you. They didn't give you, you know, a Dish TV subscription and three squares every day. And he says, man, everybody in this province, in this area, has deserted me. Verse 16, may the Lord show mercy. And here's the opposite example, faithfulness. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. This is the guy, he's like, this is the example of faithfulness. He was there for me. And then Paul gets to this verse, and we're going we're gonna to end with the, last two, or the first two verses of chapter 2. The first two verses. And here's, here, here's what he launches. He comes back around to Timothy after a little sidetrack. And this encouragement, and he says this, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. Now, there's this interesting thing. I've just stopped and think about that verse. Because in our heads, I think this is kind of a strange juxtaposition of strength and grace. I don't know about you in my head, the word grace always feels a little squishy. It's not, and this is the point. It's powerful. See, grace is not only um, the thing, through grace you have been saved by faith, right? Not of anything you've done. It's, It's not only something at work in salvation, unmerited favor, this powerful thing, but it's also like the special sauce that gets you through stuff you would never be able to go through otherwise. There's strength in grace, Some of you know this. Some of you have walked through things and you look back and you're like, I don't know. That was just God's grace. That was God's grace. There's something powerful about grace. And yet I find it so interesting that there's an action here that Paul says, like this isn't accidental. He says, you be strong in the grace. Like there's a partnership that God gives you the grace, but you still have to walk it out. You have to press in. You have to, to, to grab onto that grace. You have to make it your own. There's a choice. It's his work. You know, that stuff, 
power, not fear, not a spirit of fear, but a power of love and, and sound judgment and disciplined action. See, there's an action to this. You have to remain in grace and in his strength. You have to lean in. You have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You have to continually be filled. Another place in Ephesians, Paul will say, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the idea here, um, John Wimberos used to say, um, we leak. That's why we need to keep be being filled with the Holy Spirit. When it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's this like overflow of joy and um, just the power to get us through what we need to go through on a daily basis to serve Jesus, to be disciples. It's, this, it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it's, there's something active about taking hold of that. You know, just sort of drift through life. It's an action. You... you you need to walk with him. You need to stay in step with him. And, and like Timothy here, I think you and I, and I think young people in the room, and I think older people in the room, you need someone in your life saying to you, be strong. And you need to be speaking that into someone else's life. You need someone saying, hey, be strong in the grace of God. Be strong in it. Because it doesn't just happen by accident. The gravitational pull, the drift is where? It's towards apathy, isn't it? It's towards being discouraged because there's lots of discouraging things in life. Or towards comfort, which is one of our gods in this society. Just comfort. So easy just to be comfortable. And you need others encouraging you, pouring their lives into you. Let me just say women, maybe that are just a little bit older in the room. Um, you know some, some girls that are college age, young adult, high school you have no idea how powerful or how empowering it might be if you just, like, sent them a text. Now, they probably are scared to pick up the phone these days. It's interesting how people communication style. But that text, right, of, hey, you got it. I see this thing God's placed in you. Man, you've got strength. You've got grace. Just that encouragement. You can do it. You can be a woman of God. You have no idea how empowering that might be for a younger woman around you. Speak into their lives. You know, at Life Community, we, we talk about three relationships that we want for you, that we think are really critical in being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of him. The first one, we want you to ha have friends. That's good. And in fact, we want you to have friends, not just followers of Jesus, but some friends that aren't so that you can speak life, so that you can um, be part of their lives. Coworkers, we want you to have some friends, people who know, who know Jesus and don't. But then we really want you, out of those friends, to have some, some key friendships that we call gospel-focused friendships, that you would have a group of people in your life that you connect with regularly who help you do life as a follower of Jesus, who you can pick up the phone when things are tough, and they'll pray for you. Community. This is called real community. Maybe you, you find this in, in a life group. Maybe you find this um, in, in a ladies group or men's group. But you've got some gospel-focused friends. And then out of those gospel-focused friends, we want you to have um, a handful of what we call iron sharpens iron relationships. That you would have some guys or women, you would have some women in your life who you can be really real with who know what you're struggling with, 
who you share your, your sin, your struggle, and who can pray for you in those specific areas and who holds you accountable, like my friend Cody. Like, hey, where are you, dude? Are you going to get down here? Like, hey, are you reading your Bible? Are you in Scripture? Are you praying? How, how's your heart? How's your thought life? You need some of those relationships. You weren't designed to do the Christian life alone. Why do so many people never get to the things they say are most important? And you would probably all raise your hands and say, my relationship with God, most important. Part of it's they never put the structures or the key relationships in in place that encourage them to continue to grow and grow closer to Jesus. So Paul says, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and the things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses. uh, The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. See, Paul has this, I think, sober realization as, as he understands how close he is to the end of his life as he sits in a prison cell. And we look back at Paul, man, the most effective missionary that ever lived. You know, one of the key factors to why we're here 2,000 years later. Remember, he's sitting in a prison cell. He started these little home churches all over. But I'm sure there's some part of his heart when he finds himself not having a lot of faith going, I wonder if it's even going to work. I wonder if any of these guys will leave. Like, is anybody going to pass this on? Is this thing going to go? Or is Rome going to snuff it out? And he's like, no, no, I know. Jesus said, I'll build my church, the gates of hell. So this thing's going. This thing's going. But he knows you got to entrust it to other people. you got to pass it on to the next generation. This is about discipleship. He has this realization, hey, we got to get to this stuff. I, uh, it's interesting, I think, how um, we have this illusion of control in life. And then when we realize, we, like when I go on an inter- international trip, um, I always like have this thing and I'm like, okay, my, you know, my wife, I'm like, here's where you find the life insurance documents. And like, she hates that. She's like, no, I think she loves me. That's great. Um, <laughs> But I'm like, no, you got to know this stuff, right? There's like a seriousness that comes sometimes. Now, the, the interesting thing is statistically, you know, flying across the world, you're probably more likely to get hit by a bus crossing the street two miles from your house, right? That's actually true, statistically. But we have this illusion of control where it's so easy for us to think, oh, there's, we'll get to it tomorrow. There's always tomorrow coming. How many of you find yourselves sometimes falling for the tomorrow trap? There's always tomorrow. And Paul's in this place where he realizes, no, we have to pass this on. We have to be serious about discipleship. And see, the pattern of discipleship is uh, it's not just a personal lifestyle of following Jesus. It's also replicating yourself. Like Jesus commissioned his followers was what? Go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. And see, here's the thing. Every one of you can come alongside one or two or three other people and help them move closer to Jesus. You can do that as a follower of Jesus. 
Notice he says to reliable people. He didn't say, entrust this to the most amazing charismatic leaders in the world so this gets done. No, he says to reliable people. Um, I can't remember who coined it, but I heard this phrase a while ago, and it's an acronym, fat people. Faithful, available, teachable. You need to look for people around you in your lives who are faithful, available, teachable. Empower them to follow Jesus and help them follow Jesus more. You need to be a fat person. Faithful, available, teachable. Don't, don't misquote me on this. They're like, well, Pastor Tim said on the way to the donut shop. Okay. <laughs> Faithful, available, teachable. And, and finding some people and beginning to pour your life into them. You know, not leaving it just for, well, I'll get to that later. Have you noticed how, like, you always feel like, man, I got lots of time with my kids. And then you grow up, and then you look up, and they're, like, going into middle school. They're going into high school. They're going off to college. You're like, how did that happen? We tend to put off the most important things because we always think there's more time. Do you know the Christian faith is only ever one generation away from fading from memory? The thing that you would say most important in your relationship with God now, we know Jesus isn't going to let that happen because he said, I will build my church. But here's the sobering part. I have seen and I know that it could happen in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. Let me illustrate how this happens in real life. Uh, I was, sometimes I listen to history, uh, world history when I can't sleep at night and and uh, used, like the ancient stuff bored me, all the Sumerian, and I'd fall asleep. So it worked great. Then I got to some more interesting stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, now I can't sleep. So I was listening to this while I was mowing the lawn. Um, and, and it began talking about the, the faith in the Byzantine Empire. Now, the Byzantine Empire uh, existed for a thousand years past after the, the fall of the Roman Empire. The Byzantine Empire was the eastern half of the Roman Empire. And Rome fell in the 400s. AD to barbarians and basically broke apart. And this, the, the Eastern Kingdom actually thrived for quite a while. And it became the heart of Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Christianity. You still go there to this day in ancient churches all over the place. And it thrived until the 1400s, 1453, when the Ottoman Turks took over. You know what's fascinating is now uh, what used to be the epicenter sort of, of, of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now there's people there for generations upon generation that don't worship Jesus and don't identify with Jesus. What happened? Well, persecution started, I mean, under, under Islam. It became very hard to be a follower of Jesus. Before you know it, people stop passing on the faith. Um, I was in Europe when I was 13. Saw some amazing cathedrals. But you know, the interesting thing about cathedrals in Europe, what's so common about so many of them, they're empty. They're empty. We have dusty home gyms, empty cathedrals. They're all over. And at one point, 
There was a generation that took it for granted, that got apathetic, that got comfortable and didn't pass it on to the next generation, that didn't think it was worth like developing some of these relationships in their life and actually calling people to follow Jesus, encouraging others, people that didn't have a Paul or a Timothy in their life, to say, fan into flames what God's put in you. Go after him. Live your life for Jesus. And so the faith just became sort of a cultural, social norm, and before you know it, it became irrelevant. And today, those cathedrals that used to be Europe, the heart of the Reformation, they stand empty. The Christian faith is only ever one generation away from fading from memory in your neighborhood, in your family, in your community. And you know, we think it starts with the big things, but so often it starts with the, the small things. Too busy to study Bible with the kids and actually make that moment happen. Too distracted to read my Bible and, and pray on a daily basis. I, I just have too much going on. Too busy to really be involved and consistent in church life. Um, never really got around to taking my relationship with God seriously. Never got around to putting some key relationships into place to actually staying accountable with some other guys or some other women. Never really got around to finding a Timothy or calling others to follow Jesus and having discipling relationships, encouraging others. We started out saying most things in life worth doing don't happen by accident. Is my relationship with God the most important thing? Yeah. Do I believe it? Yeah, sure. The question is, do I, do you believe it strongly enough to build into your life the necessary relationships that will lead you toward growth? Paul says this, be strong. Take this verse, think about it this week. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How are you doing? Have you just sort of taken it for granted? I think you need a Paul in your life, or you, and you need a Timothy in your life that you're pouring into. So I want to encourage you, as, as we close, to just pray about this. Because our tendency is to drift and get really busy and caught up in a whole bunch of other stuff and never get to the most important things in life. Who in your life is going to be like my buddy Cody? Who are you going to pass on, take seriously, passing on faith to? Are you going to take your relationship with God seriously enough to build that accountability into your lives? Would you stand? So I close, I just want you to ponder that. Take this first, think about it this week. And then when I say amen, don't grab your keys yet. I got a couple quick things I want that are practical, okay? It'll help you with this. But let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you for my friends. And Lord, I just want to ask that, uh, that you would inspire them to actually take those steps they know they need to take that have been holding them back and really running after you. Some of them, that, that that would be rekindling some of those relationships that they let kind of go by the wayside.
you show them exactly how this applies in their life, Lord. Give them the faith and the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, getting to those relationships, friends, gospel-focused friends, iron sharpens iron relationships. We want to help you do that as a church. And let me just say for ladies, the ladies' ministry has built out a really cool framework um, there's a monthly gathering that's really easy just to come to. And then out of that, there's some groups um, called Beyond the Table where you can start making some of those gospel-focused friendships. And then there's discipleship training and discipleship groups where you can get in these relationships with two or three or four other women. So why don't you take advantage of that? Men, why don't you come to camp? It's a great spot to begin to make some of those relationships. This year, one of my good friends, I uh, was a pastor, uh, Kirk Quilliman. He's flying out from, from Missouri or driving out, and he's going to be speaking. You're going to love him. He's great. Why don't you sign up and come to camp? I know you're busy. Why don't you, why don't you make it a priority, right? And this September, we've got a group connect coming up. Keep your eye out for that. That would be a great opportunity to get in, in, in a life group and actually begin to make some of those gospel-focused friendships in your life. I want to encourage you, just pray about that. Have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you back here next week.